church has a problem, but it's not the problem you're probably thinking about. It's not money or facilities or even persecution or what somebody might think. The problem is what you and I think and how you and I respond. And it's always been that way. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he talked about putting the cross first and thinking about Christ and the wisdom that comes from God. But our problem is that we want to put our own wisdom above that of God. Would you think with me for a few minutes about what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live? So let's look at what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth. Our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 10. And when you get to these verses, Paul is pouring out his heart before God and before the church at Corinth because Paul sees a need and a problem, and he pours out his soul before God. Here's what he said Chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that they are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, he's not commending them in this. This is not something good. Still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul kind of gives an aside. I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Follow down in verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Last week, I invited you to imagine something with me, kind of frivolous and not very meaningful. Let me ask you to imagine something else with me, something very meaningful. Let, let's think that we're in a, a church building, a traditional church building, uh, built with the foyer in the back and then the place where people sit in the middle and a pulpit here and behind me, a choir loft with two rows of people, maybe room enough for 20 people in the choir. And the preacher is preaching here, and the people are, there's a, there's a center aisle and pews on each side. And the worship service goes on, and the choir remains seated where they are. And at the end of the worship service, there is a, there is a church business meeting. And for weeks, the church has been struggling with what's going to happen in the future, with the decision that there's going to make and they're going to make. And, and there seems to be division in the church. And so the day comes for the business meeting and it's after the worship service. And just imagine with me that you are standing in the choir loft. You're one of those 20 people looking at all of this. And as the debate goes on, there is a quietness over the congregation, not in awe of God, but in fear of people and what people may do. And then finally the vote is taken and you breathe the sigh of relief because it's finally over. Except the pastor asks one very unusual question. Is there anyone here who under no circumstances will not support the decision that the church has made. And now there's a greater hush because there's greater fear. And on the second pew, you're standing in the choir loft and you're looking at a man on the second pew who puts his hand over the pew and pulls himself to his feet and stands, my frame, my word, in defiance of the church and the decision that is made. 
And for you, that's imagination. But for me, it was real life when I was 15 or 16 or 17. And I've often thought that that real life picture of a church divided, of a church in disagreement, in a church without unity is part of the reason why I emphasize the unity of the church and I preach from those passages that again and again tell us and appeal to us to be unified. But it's not just experience that makes me do that. It is the Word of God itself. What is Paul trying to say to the church at Corinth? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I urge you to be unified, to be one in mind and thought, to live at harmony with one another. What Paul is telling us, and by the way, if you, if you would read sometime the letters of Paul, there are 13 of them in the New Testament. He wrote half the books of the New Testament. And every time he wrote to a church, he appealed for unity because he knew that our only unity is in Christ. And the only reason we exist is because of the cross and the only way we can continue is to be in him. So Paul again and again called for unity in the church. And for the church at Corinth, he, he appealed to them. He urged them. He called upon them that they would be one in Christ. It wasn't the only time that he did that. If you look at Ephesians, excuse me, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, Paul begged, urged, exhorted the church at Philippi to be of one heart and one mind and to have the same mind. So it's very obvious that it wasn't just a problem in Corinth that they had with unity. And it wasn't just a problem in the little church where I grew up that they had a problem with unity. And it wasn't only at Philippi that they had a problem with unity. Paul is calling for all of the people of God to be faithful and to be unified. And a little later we'll talk about how we can do that and how that is possible to do. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, if you want to make my joy complete, then be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Listen to what he said. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Paul is talking about the urgency of unity among the church and in the people of God. 
And it is amazing, isn't it? Because when we talk about urgent words for urgent times, it, it feels like all of this thing that's happening around us is what the urgent times are. Persecution and, and maybe ridicule and, and disagreement and people who hate the church and hate the name of Jesus. But that's not what Paul is talking about. That's not the urgent part. He sees the urgent part as being among us, where we are. We're the ones where there's urgency. And there's urgency of our being one in Christ Jesus. The urgency of unity. He asked the question, is Christ divided? Some of you say, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, who was a very eloquent preacher. And others say, I am of Cephas. That was the Aramaic name for Simon Peter, who was known to all of the churches. And some people said, I am of Christ. And apparently they had some disagreement over baptism because they were thinking that the baptism had significance in who provided the baptism. And so Paul goes through this, and Paul says, I, I didn't baptize any of you, but his mind is moving so fast, he says, except for Crispus and Gaius. And then he has an aside and says, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember baptizing anyone. And then what did Paul say? Paul says, I wasn't sent, I wasn't called to baptize I was called to preach the gospel. And so what was Paul telling them to do? Let's, let's remember what the center of everything is. Let's remember the gospel. Let's remember the cross. Let's remember that it's not about us. There's an urgency for unity, but there's also an urgency in the church for selflessness. Because even though those people were exalting Paul and Apollos and Cephas, they were really exalting themselves. Because it was all about them. In the passage again in Philippians, Paul said, not looking to your own interest but each one to the interest of others. But you know this, and I know this. It's hard not to look out for your own interest. It's hard even to come to church and not to think about yourself and what I want and what I like and what I need and what I want them to do for me. It is so difficult even to come to church and, and not live in that kind of way. But the world around us is begging for people who live selflessly, who love other people, who care about the needs of others. It is urgent. The world around us wants to know there's a place I can come and I can be received and accepted and loved and appreciated and where they will tell me who I am and why I am here and what God wants to do in my life. 
The world is begging to know of a place that will tell them there is a God in heaven who knows your name and your DNA sequence, who knows your emotions. The world is begging to know that you can go to a place and there's a God who sees all of us here and knows where everyone sits and knows the names of every person and knows all about us and loves us beyond any comprehension on our part. But if it is about me, then we lose Christ. If it is about us, we ignore Christ. We put ourselves first. We live for self instead of living for him, there's an urgency of our humility, of humbling ourselves before the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, Paul quotes the last verse is a quote from the Old Testament. Let him who boasts, boast in the name of the Lord. It's because he is the one who has made us who we are. It is he who forgives us. It is he who makes us new people. And it is imperative that we know him and that we live for him and that we serve him. There is an urgency about unity and there is an urgency about selflessness. And there is an urgency about the cross. I mentioned to you a minute ago, I, I, I feel certain you're convinced that what I've said and what the Scripture says, you're convinced this is right. We need to be unified, and we need to be humble, and we need to be selfless. But at the same time, I always want to know, then how does that happen? Because... It must be very hard because there are not very many people who are unified and there are not very many people who are selfless. But there are plenty of us who are selfish and there are plenty of us who think about ourselves, who make ourselves number one and forget about God and forget about other people. How do I live in unity? And remember now, you are the church. This is not the church. You are the church. Simon Peter said this, this that, that we are the little stones who make up the church. And that God builds up the church on all of our little stones, the people we are. How do we build up the church? How do we get away from selfishness? How do we live it's in unity? Well, Paul, although he never says it, I think it is very clear, the answer to this is we rally around the cross. We make the cross the center of our hearts and lives. We lift up the cross. We lift up what Jesus did for us. Jesus himself says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, there are a couple of ideas that we're to get for that. He was lifted up from the earth, but he was lifted up on a cross. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. 
unto myself, if I be lifted up. But there's another way that Jesus is lifted up. It's when you and I come to worship and we exalt him and we praise him and we pray to him and we ask God, God, what would you have me to do? And I want to live for you and I want to honor you. We lift up Christ and what is his promise? If I be lifted up from the earth, if I be exalted in praise, if you put me first, then I draw people unto myself. Paul says God chose you. He drew you to yourself. You didn't save yourself. You didn't make such a wise decision. Sometimes we talk about that. You didn't make such a wise decision. No, God looked down upon you and chose you and called you to be his own child. And, and he is drawing and, and you responded to him in faith. Opening your heart and your life to him. Here's what I would say. My guess is some of you right now are being drawn to Christ. Don't ignore that. Don't look down on it. Don't think little of it. Don't think, well, maybe it'll go away when I leave. But rather respond to God in faith. That's why Jesus is talking about the urgency of the cross. It's about the cross it's about what God did for us. And, and remember, everybody has problems with the cross. Non-believers often call us the people of the cross. And that's a good thing because we are. And we have no real meaning apart from the cross. Paul said the Jew, for the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And for the Greeks, it seems like something ridiculous. And it was a stumbling block for the Jews. And by the way, in the church at Corinth, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Those were the two groups of people. And Paul knew if you could put those two groups of people together in unity, then the gospel would go throughout the world because there would be a unity around the cross. But for the Jews, it was a stumbling block because they thought anyone who hung upon a tree was accursed. And for the Greeks, how could it be that the Son of God could come to earth and he would be crucified? How could the Son of God be killed? And so Paul talks about the cross where, where God shows himself for who he is. And God makes us new people in him there is an urgency about the cross and our unity is in the cross and our unity is knowing that in Christ we have peace and love and joy that knowing in Christ we become new people and that we live for him Paul said to the church at Corinth if anyone is in Christ meaning that we are in Christ and Christ in us, meaning that we've come to that point where we open our heart to him. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creature, different. 
Not the same. I can try to be better. And you can try to be better. But most of the time that doesn't work. But I find it in this way, when I'm finally willing to give up, when I'm finally willing to say, God, I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself, I start seeing life change in my life. That's what the urgency is. It's the urgency of following after Christ. It's the urgency of letting God be our Lord and our master, of making the cross central, of giving ourselves to God in obedience and faith, saying to God, I can't do this, but you can do this. And I give myself unto you. That's what I want to call the church to do, to be unified in Christ. To be humble in Christ. To be obedient in Christ. To seek Christ with all your heart and all your life. Turning your life over to him. Letting him be in control. And I want to ask everybody to do this. To to say unto God, God, I want to follow you. I want to. Become like you. I want to be obedient to you. I want to call on you who have not yet trusted Christ. To call on him. To follow after him. To be obedient unto him. What? Remember what Jesus said? In Matthew 16, these powerful words. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up the cross and follow me. The reason why this was a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks is because the the cross was the means of execution. What was Jesus asking them to do? To die to self and to live for Christ. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life must lose it in me. And whoever loses his life in me will live. So what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? I want to ask you today to follow after Christ and to say unto him, Lord, I seek you with all my heart and all my soul. And I seek to deny myself and take up my cross and follow you. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the powerful words of Jesus and the powerful words that you gave to Paul. God, help us now to follow you. Help us now to seek you with all our heart. Help us now to open our lives unto you. God, I know there are people who are not yet believers, but 
you are calling them. You are drawing them. God, help them to open their hearts to you today and walk to the front and counsel with the pastor and, and receive the help and blessing that comes from you. God, I want to pray now for all believers here that we would say unto you, God, I want to be like you. Please speak to our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. The pastors are here in the front. We invite you to come and pray with them and to find strength and encouragement together.